0: Japanese submarine slammed two torpedoes into our side, Chief. He was coming back from the island of Tinian to Lady... ...and just delivered the bomb, the Hiroshima bomb. 1,100 men went into the water. The vessel went down in 12 minutes. Didn't see the first shark for about half an hour. Tiger, 13-footer, you know? You know that when you're in the water, Chief? You tell by looking from the dorsal to the tail. What well, we didn't know was our bomb mission had been so secret, no distress signal had been sent. <laughs> they didn't even list as overdue for a week. Very first light, Chief, sharks come cruising. So we formed ourselves into tight groups. You know, it's kind of like old squares in a battle, like you see in a calendar, like the Battle of Waterloo. And the idea was shark comes to the nearest man. That man, he starts pounding and hollering and screaming. Sometimes the shark go away. Sometimes he wouldn't go away. Sometimes that shark, he looks right into you, right into your eyes. You know the thing about a shark, he's got lifeless eyes, black eyes like a doll's eyes. When he comes at you, he doesn't seem to be living until he bites you and those black eyes roll over white and then, oh, then you hear that terrible high-pitched screaming. The ocean turns red and in spite of all the pounding and the hollering, they all come in and they rip you to pieces. No, by the end of that first dawn lost a hundred men I don't know how many sharks maybe a thousand I don't know how many men They average six an hour on Thursday morning chief I bumped into a friend of mine Herbie Robinson from Cleveland baseball player bosom's mate. I thought he was asleep I reached over to wake him up Bobbed up and down in the water, it was like a kind of top, upended. Well, he'd been bitten in half below the waist. Noon, the fifth day, Mister Mulberry, Lockheed Ventura. So as he swung in low, and he saw his teeth. a young pilot, of lunt. Younger than Mr. Hooper, anyway, he saw us, and he come in low. And three hours later, a big fat PBY comes down and starts to pick us up. You know, that was the time I was most frightened, waiting for my turn. I'll never put on a life jacket again. So, 1,100 men went in the war. 316 men come out, of the sharks took the rest. June the 29th, 1945. Like that one you cheap dime store
2: wood Andy You Cody Hello everyone and welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm uh, Matt. And this is episode number one hundred Jaws.
1: Yep, that's right. We've been talking about it for however long now, and we're
2: finally here. Milestone up once again. Yeah, it is a milestone just because, I mean, it's crazy that a podcast with so few listeners would Would carry on. Really, would feel the need to keep going all the way until 100 episodes. But here we are, and I think it's cool. I mean, honestly, this is probably the thing that out of all of my creative ventures in my life that the I'm thing most of all things. proud of. Yeah. It is quite a we've turned it into quite a show. Really? Even
1: more so than that time you played a show at the Aspen Wall Grill. Yeah. All right.
2: <laughs> there were a couple shows there. But <laughs> yeah, I mean I I think quality wise, you know. Yeah, certainly. Now granted I would I wish like a you know, some more hot babes were listening and Thinking like man, that yeah, Zach you'd really sounds be like a real cool guy. Getting them going <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with all of his stupid, creepy comment <laughs> jokes. <laughs> it is what it is. I I think as far as movie podcasts go, I I I think we're like right up there with. Oh yeah, absolutely. I I see us as like a combination of comedy and information. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I know some of our listeners are some probably people, yeah. like comedy? Question mark Right, but you know, yeah. And then they're like, "But we hate the informational pieces." <laughs> so go fuck yourselves. We're
1: still kind of adapting to our new kind of setup here, trying to fight through any yeah technological difficulties. So does it look like we're kind of? I think yeah, or, or about the same volume. I don't know. Okay.
2: Who knows? Hopefully, this all works out.
1: I mean, if it looks like it's pretty close, then and there's not like big peaks one way or the other. I don't think so. All right,
2: we'll see. <laughs> yeah, we'll see what happens. We are obviously aware that we are in separate ears. If you're listening the headphones, we are aware that there were some technical difficulties in the Eyes Wide Shut episode. There were a lot worse parts that got cut out, obviously. Yeah, but, a long um, monologue from Matt. Yeah, probably Matt's longest speaking time in the entire episode was cut. Maybe in the entire run of the show. (laughs) I don't know about that, but there was the bellflower episode. Oh, Oh boy. But we're doing our best.
1: Right, and that's all anyone can ask, right?
2: (laughs) For all I know, there will probably be some technical difficulties in this episode. Hopefully, we'll figure out what to do. As we mentioned in the last episode, we switched computers, we switched recording software. Everything's kind of different. It's an adjustment period. It just so happened to be during our centennial episode. That's right. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy to me that how time starts to go faster as you get older. And granted, I mean, we, how long have we been doing this show? Well, we didn't start posting until january 2016 but we are rapidly approaching the three-year anniversary of us starting to record them that which is was nuts. i think would have been around thanksgiving of 2015 yeah Man, so that is crazy i can't believe it yeah <laughs> it's crazy that a we started so long ago and that b we've only made it to 100 episodes now so when did we
1: start <laughs> recording like in november or something i just said thanksgiving
2: okay i yeah. literally just came out well of i was mouth. just thinking
1: <laughs> uh about i was trying to nothing's pl- changed right. in hundred episodes. I, I was trying to place it like well how many Oct- octobers have we been through though just two i guess that's correct right. yes and then this will be the third this <laughs> year once we get to it
2: <laughs> yes any favorite memories stick out from this run
1: it's hard to hard to say at this point i i really enjoyed the comeback <laughs> i feel like The positives for me, as far as, like, favorite apps, Halloween 3, Roadhouse, negative moments, all audio commentaries, (laughs) listener requests.
2: (laughs) Well, I will say that we've definitely tried a lot of different things. We did three audio commentaries, I think. Yeah. We did about eight listener requests. We've done about 15 or 16, or I don't know how many. Give us a second. Oh, I like
1: the give us a seconds, too. And Belle du Jour.
2: Yeah, and I think, you know, we've done some episodes that you, I guess you would call them, like, wrestling history lessons. A couple of those we oh, that's did. that's true, yeah. A lot of different TV episodes and TV seasons and uh, obviously a ton of Probably movies. Like, way too much Twin Peaks-oriented <laughs> things. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, at least we learned to... Just kind of keep that in the give us a second so that people could skip them easier, I guess. Yeah. You know, I think it's it's been fun. You know, hopefully we'll continue to come up with some different things to try. I mean, I like – I kind of prefer just sticking to, like, the standard movie or TV thing. Yeah, but I, did, you know, know, I mean, we threw some music in there, you know, back in the day. Yeah, and there might be some more of that, too, on the horizon. It's but been a while. Yeah, I mean, I, we definitely had some plans to do one more audio commentary next week. That's not going to happen just because we have it's too It's a bad ma- idea. <laughs> it is a bad idea, but it, it's not going to happen just because we have too many other episodes to get to, and it's just not worth trying to rush that. Cause I it, feel like. It was, it was specifically for a, a date next week, and so that is going to just pass us by, and so it makes no sense to try to do it later
1: any big goals for you in the post episode 100 run um aside from episodes that you definitely want to get to because that list is certainly gonna keep growing no not really i I have something I, I i do think we need to attend another massive pop show i feel like we've got another one of those left in us
2: we should i mean we should just go on the kesha cruise That's just right. for the podcast yeah.
1: <laughs> and do a live show from the cruise not with an audience i mean you know just like poolside we should have with
2: the mac set up f- we should have went to like philadelphia or somewhere to see this like Ali and aj tour oh boy yeah <laughs> a lot of the dates are so, so selling out according well, to their Instagram. they've got a lot of fans but yeah, it's been it's been a really cool run. I loved doing like the Bug Juice episodes cuz we kind of like got to put a lot of clips in. Bug Juice was fun. Everything we've done since the comeback, I think has been pretty good. Obviously, we've had some disappointments. We kind of get lost in the weeds sometimes with the more complicated things like the two-part Inception one and the three-part True Detective one. I think the True Detective one was good. It was just too much. It was too much. And yeah. the Inception one was and too no complicated one was to it, yeah. <laughs> we should have just went with a more visceral approach to Inception, right. talking about like Marion Katar's boobs or something. There you go. Yeah. <laughs>
1: that's what right. that's what our fans want to hear. So tune in, hot chicks, cuz <laughs> you're missing dynamite comments like that from Zach.
2: <laughs> so here's to another 100 episodes. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> We're on the march now to 200. Right. I can't even talk about it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so anyway... We follow the show on Twitter. Yeah,
2: and <laughs> follow the show on Twitter, Pod, and give us a rating and review on iTunes. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you you tell your friends. Be like, hey, I found this really lame podcast. I can't believe they have 100 episodes. You should check it out. Right. And, you know, we'll keep... Doing it. Doing it as Obviously, we see fit. Obviously, we're not going to
1: stop. I mean, it's just a uh,
2: somehow we're still going. So I guess... The idea to do Jaws for our, our 100th episode came up a long time ago, probably back when we were like at episode 50, which at this point is over a year ago. Right. You. Um, know, I mean,
1: Jaws for me, it, certainly uh, I think I'll always consider it in like my top five, just movies, all categories considered. I, I don't know what it is. Whenever someone asks me m- my favorite movie of all time... it. It's, I'm not going to say it is Jaws, but that's one of the ones that always comes to mind. I never really have an answer. <laughs> I mean, it, that's a really tough thing to answer. What is your favorite movie of all time?
2: I know. Number one for me has always been hard to say. Yeah. For a while, I think I said it was uh, American Beauty, uh, also Pulp Fiction, right. and yeah, also Fiction I The Royal Tenenbaums. Yeah. Those have been like my three, but I don't really feel like I have one anymore. I, I, I don't either, yeah. But yeah, Jaws is always in the mix for like any kind of top list that I'm I'm working on. But like I said, okay, so we threw the, we we put this idea out there between ourselves, like okay, let's do Jaws for episode 100. It's a movie we both love. There's a lot to talk about. It'll be fun. And then it just so happens that we get to episode 100 kind of in time for the Fourth of July, which is oh, obviously right, a yeah. key. It all worked out in the plot of Jaws. So. You know, here we are. It feels like the right time. You know, summer's, you know, officially in full swing. Yeah,
1: seriously. It's 98
2: degrees every day. And so That's what's playing on my Apple Music. Jaws. <laughs> <laughs> Jaws is always, you know, a big time summer movie. I think like, you know, within the last few years probably all the like tons of movie theaters start playing Jaws oh, around yeah. the 4th of Oh yeah. I went to see
1: it in theaters last year, last summer.
2: Yeah, and I think there's more playing it this year it's kind of becoming like a yearly thing it's a movie that kind of has a holds a special place in everyone's hearts because it's one of, honestly in my opinion it's one of the scariest fucking movies ever made really yeah as far as affecting my life it's like I why mean,
1: would you ever go in the water
2: it ruined my life for a long stretch right. <laughs> <laughs> it's not i mean it's weird because the movie's rated pg but it's like it's fucked up to see this movie as a kid Oh, yeah. I mean, it is like, whoa. <laughs> There's a nude chick swimming in the beginning of it. Well, even seeing like kind of a, a TV version of it, I think, because that's probably the way I saw it first when I was very young, uh, still probably living in New Jersey. I was How like, does one even come to grips? <laughs> uh, for me, I was scared to even go in like pools, bathtubs. Yeah. I just kind of started to believe that it was possible a shark could be in any water anywhere.
1: Yeah. Sharks known for <laughs> habitating <laughs> bathtubs. Well,
2: the logic of a child's mind, you oh, know. Oh, I know.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I would have been thinking that somehow they're
2: going to come up through that. <laughs> the <box>. toilet. <laughs> yeah. It's a possibility. It's certainly pools for me. Not that I, I can't honestly say I ever really thought that the shark was going to be in a pool, but well, for it, the, for it, the pools, I could make myself get nervous well, yeah,
1: and pretend. For the pools, there was always that one episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? That was a that always got to me a little bit.
2: Yeah, possibly. I I would like to do an episode of uh, on Are You Afraid of the Dark? Oh, I, the I I think that's coming. Yeah, down the line. It's kind of hard to get your track hands down on those it, DVDs yeah. though. Anyway, let's not go down that road. So, do you remember the first time you saw Jaws? Had to be on TV
1: on TNT, TBS, USA. One of those, yeah, channels for sure. The trifecta. Whenever, like, over the summer when they'd run like all four of them or whatever, they would show movies like Jaws and stuff, but like um, Roadhouse. Yeah, the, they were. Uh, they were three big time. Ghost, especially USA, which <laughs> I Dirty
2: I, Dancing, anything with Patrick Swayze, always in the mix. Yeah, well, USA used to have like tons of like crazy movies. That's how I saw a lot of these fucking like '80s movies and shit was just on those channels. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would ag- I would say that I I probably you know caught parts of Jaws you know at various points on TV and stuff like that. I don't, I I, I really don't remember the first time I watched it like front to back, but it kind of it was always this lingering presence all through my life. Yeah, really. I mean,
1: I can remember. Uh, obviously, I didn't see. Yeah, I definitely didn't see the movie like. In order, the first time, just catching different parts of it, I can remember, you know, the the scene with the three dudes like drinking on the boat. Um, yeah, I can remember like that little Kitner boy being <laughs> killed, like the first like the first time I saw that scene. As we were
2: watching it, you know, in preparation that to poor do this, Kitner boy's mother podcast. I
1: heard that there was a girl eaten, and right. you knew about
2: it. I was saying when we were watching this in preparation that uncut, unchanged as just as it is right now, if this movie came out today it would be rated R. Oh, it would skip right past yeah, PG-13, I, so. yeah. I think. It's pretty
1: bloody too. Blood playing a part There's in a the rating. There's a lot of things I
2: think. in it that are are fucked up, but uh, you know, it's crazy the shit that used to squeak into PG movies sometimes. And this and you can't even say that like this was Spielberg wielding his power when it came to Poltergeist or what was the other one, uh, Raiders of uh, not Raiders, Temple um, of uh, Temple of Doom, Temple of Doom yeah. and stuff like that, because he didn't have this power. Jaws what, you know propelled right. yeah. his career really. Oh, so yeah,
1: I guess should be pointed out too. That often this is considered the the first summer blockbuster,
2: right? Right. So Jaws is a, or was a 1974 novel by Peter Benchley, which was snapped up. By a couple of guys named Richard D. Zanuck and David Brown, who were uh, Hollywood producers. They purchased the film adaptation rights before the book was even published. Now,
1: not really considered uh, classic American literature.
2: No, it hadn't even come out yet when they bought the rights (laughs) to it.
1: I mean, I assume this is an American novel. I don't know. Uh,
2: Yeah, I think Peter Benchley's American, but I mean, it takes place in America, so (laughs) it's good enough for me. In a fictional
1: town, though, right?
2: Right, but it's supposed to be in like uh, I think in the book it's supposed to be in Long Island. Oh, okay. But in, the but
1: in this, is, this is like New England or something. Yeah, it's supposed to be like kind of like a Cape Kod Codish because that's yeah. where they
2: filmed it. Eventually, Jaws would go on to become the highest grossing film of all time up until that point, and would essentially become the prototype for the massive Hollywood summer blockbuster and kind of change the way that studios would work their schedules. Like, they would build towards big blockbusters in the summer, and that became, like, their financial model was to rely on those movies. Kind of the way that <laughs> the townspeople well, yeah, in Amity over. rely on the summer. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> the summer people. It's it's kind of weird, but, I mean, that is kind of how studios... Al- although nowadays, like, they release blockbusters all year round, but... These
1: Marvel movies will stay open. <laughs>
2: And for all intents and purposes, the the film should have failed. I mean, Spielberg was a relatively new director. There were just tons of problems. I think like a pretty funny quote was from Richard Dreyfuss, uh, one of the stars of the film. He said, we started the film without a script, without a cast and without a shark. (laughs) And they just kind of were going, but almost by the seat of their pants and like a lot of different cooks in the kitchen when it came to the script.
1: Well, this whole uh, I don't know. I mean, it's. This one and then also, like, Apocalypse Now that yeah. has, like, a bunch of, like, the production stories.
2: But Well, it, I mean, there's a lot of movies that kind of... Yeah, I know. I
1: just feel like those are the two most famous for it. I, I don't know. I, I always... Well, there was Heaven's, Heaven's well, Gate yeah, and then
2: true. Kevin's Gate, which was Waterworld. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's there's a, a Titanic obviously had an insane rep before true. it came out. I mean, okay. Well, bu- for me personally, this these was kind of yeah. This was like the bu- the b- maybe the first one, but, but it, it's a lot It would of, get so much worse than uh, this, right? After. Yeah,
1: but it, there it, there was just like the wild west of filmmaking a little bit, like these guys having like bigger budgets. But I mean, I don't know what the budget was for Jaws. But well, for, the b- for original for budget
2: was supposed to be three point five million. Okay, and it, by the I don't end, know what
1: the going rate was at this point.
2: Well, this was, for a guy who this was his second major motion picture after Sugarland Express and. I think that 3.5 was probably reasonable. By the end of it it would it would be around 10 and the shooting schedule would triple. They wanted to do 55 days and oh, it ended wow, up yeah. being 159 days. Well, and I mean it was kind of his Spielberg's bravado though because I mean in his l- naivete really because he didn't know any better that filming in the Atlantic Ocean was going to be r- fucking brutal. Oh yeah.
1: The one time I watched this, that documentary uh, Milius about is it John Millius yeah uh, yeah so in a lot of the documentary covers like this time period of like Spielberg Lucas Francis Ford Coppola and Milius all kind of like coming up together and it really talks about like their whole like f- filmmaking style and how it was just kind of crazy and there's just a lot about that and how they would all like borrow from each other and like use each other for each other's projects and stuff and like go uncredited and stuff.
2: Yeah, a lot of people were a lot of people were uncredited with their contributions to the script. I think like Benchley himself had gotten paid to do the initial adaptation of his own novel, but then they brought in other people and then like Milius had a crack at it, but there was also a couple like Spielberg brought in a couple other guys cuz he wanted it to have some levity to it, which it does oh, yeah. have some jokes. And then, like even Robert Shaw himself, like would rewrite some of his own dialogue. Some of stuff. the great
1: lines in the movie are improvised. Yeah, even.
2: a lot of times they would get together, like the cast and Spielberg and you know some of the crew the night before or the d- you know the day before of, of what they were going to shoot, and then just kind of go through it. And that's where they would come up with some of these lines. Oh right, yeah. And it it, it just there's so many like it red flags <laughs> <laughs> about like this should have turned into a nightmare. You know, most importantly, being at the mercy of Mother Nature, uh, the ocean, the oceanic issues, boats kind of drifting into frame and ruining shots, the weather, and then of course the waterlogged mechanical sharks, which would still kind look of better than CGI, I think. Well, yeah, the issues with the shark working and not working and losing all that time to fixing the shark and all the problems. You know. led to the best possible outcome for the film because Spielberg decided to take a less is more approach with the shark and it kind of allowed for the audience's own imaginations to like build up what the shark was going to be and kind of fill in with their own fear rather than be shown a fake shark at the beginning of the film. I think you know, Spielberg kind of like said himself, it turned it from your run-of-the-mill Saturday matinee creature feature to something more Hitchcockian. Yeah. Because Certainly. it's much more about building I up this say, dread.
1: Right. And I mean part of it does kind of feel like the movie birds a little bit. Like I feel like the whole setting and feel yeah. of it is kind of similar. But speaking of uh the mechanical shark and talking about like fears from when you were a kid, I forgot to bring this up where I guess I don't know if I forgot, but maybe I buried it away because it's embarrassing. But I was like pretty <laughs> afraid, even though I was never there until I was older, of the Universal Tour ride where Jaws pops out of the water. Right. I mean, I was afraid of the idea of going to Universal and riding that ride. <laughs> I can honestly
2: it? say I've never ridden the ride, so I don't have any well, yeah, it's not It's not it. even
1: an operation anymore. Now I would love to, but when I was a
2: kid... You, you just were adding anxiety about the possibility. <laughs>
1: right. If my parents were like, we're going on vacation to Universal, I would have started crying.
2: <laughs> but yeah, I mean all told everything worked out though i mean it became this massive hit like i said it was the highest grossing film of all time up until that point and it would be that way you know only for 2 years until star wars came out in 1977 yeah one upper mr lucas you know it, it kind of captured the imagination of the public and really instilled this fascination with sharks that i think has lasted until present day i mean i think our culture's fascination with sharks continues, and it started, I think, with Jaws mostly. And you know, you got three sequels out of it, but also a bunch of different other kind of shark movies. But Shark Week, Sharknado.
1: Oh yeah, Megalodon. These, yeah, <laughs> the, the Meg.
2: Meg is coming out this summer. Yeah, and then you know, you had your Piranhas. knockoffs like Piranha and all that shit. Piranha and, Two: The Spawning. Right, James Cameron. Yeah, but so yeah, a lot I mean, of good stuff yeah I think it's become this iconic thing. Everything about the movie is a reference. Everything about it is you know held in this high regard and very quotable. I think iconic is a word that will get thrown around by me probably from now till the rest of this episode. but that's the best word i mean it's it's beyond just a two hour movie it's it's become like its own thing, oh yeah. And it's so different. It's interesting because when you actually watch the movie, it's so different and it feels so different from modern day blockbusters. And it kind of is a throwback to another era of filmmaking that unfortunately, you know, even Spielberg himself no longer is a part of. All right. So this movie has loomed large for both of us and kind of, you know, beyond us even into the oh, rest of the culture yeah. and so you know i felt like this was a cool movie to do for episode 100 you know i think we should say right now that this will probably be a long episode we weren't gonna mention that but no i, s- I think it should be it said be Mentioned once right yeah <laughs> i think people uh, will they can see the length obviously <laughs> when we're done but they know what time we're at right now It'll right a long way to go Yeah, you know, I think the goal will be to try to start doing some shorter episodes. But, hey, people, this is our 100th one. Yeah. If you don't like the longer ones, then just deal with it. Right. (laughs) So, let's get into the film itself. Just an unbelievable opening sequence. Uh, The beach party, uh, remnants of, like, the 60s aesthetic. Oh, yeah. It feels like something almost out of, like, the Wonder Years, almost.
1: Yeah, I mean, just... Hard it's to describe, but it feels very—I
2: I don't know, yeah—of a time. It's crazy to think that Jaws only came out like six years after Woodstock. Yeah, that is. You weird. know what I mean? Like, right. it's so of that era, but it—it it, you never really get that feel except for this opening scene. It yeah. feels like very hippie-ish, you know, very uh, Vietnam War I will era. Say
1: right from this, <laughs> and then like the the be- like the beginning, kind of after this, with when you first meet Sheriff Brody, I am just like. I think, yeah, this is w- where I want to head someday, just, like, live in some little fucking island town with, like, Resort nothing town. going on, yeah. So
2: a girl and a guy are kind of, like, breaking off from the party.
1: Yeah, I mean, she's kind of luring him a little bit, yeah, right? Yeah, she
2: wants to go swimming. It's going to be, like, a skinny-dipping situation. It's kind of crazy, like I said, that this is rated PG because, I mean, yeah. you kind of get, like, a pretty full shot of her boobs real quick. I will quick, say, you And know, then she's nude in the water. And you kind of see her. I feel like this her. last viewing on y- your TV was
1: the most detail I ever felt like I saw on it, even more so than seeing it in theaters last year. I, I was like, You definitely get a I was, little. I think like last night before we started watching it, I was like, Yeah, you don't. Everything just looks like a silhouette. You don't see anything. Oh, no. no I, I've known yeah.
2: since I was a kid that you <laughs> definitely got a little bit of nip. Oh, yeah. And
1: and definitely some pubes. Really. There was like some freeze frame going on on a VHS. <laughs>
2: Yeah, the amount of times that I fr- like freeze-frame in slow motion through oh, movies is yeah, right. really I, disturbing. I know it's just,
1: well, it's weird to think about doing it with like, a VHS player. <laughs> it's just like,
2: so shitty resolution. you got to get that laser disc. Right. So, yeah, she runs off into the ocean to go skinny-dipping, and her date, her, her, her guy friend, he can't quite get it together to yeah. get into that water. No, this
1: was not something that came up a lot in my life, like a girl at a party being like, hey, I'm going to go skinny dipping. Let's go.
2: (laughs) I mean, (laughs) not something that I found relatable. It does definitely seem like that water would be fucking freezing cold. I I would say, yeah. I mean, that just seems horrible.
1: From someone who grew up in New England and would go swimming in the summer, it's fucking
2: cold. And I mean, this whole like night swimming thing, especially in the ocean, it it really brings out like thalassophobia for me, which is an intense... And in persistent fear of the sea or of sea travel, it's kind of caught on because of Reddit. There's, like, an r slash thalassophobia that gets a lot of, like, high-voted things. Oh, but boy. just pictures of, like, things in the ocean and, like, the darkness below people or, like, scary pictures of sharks or other sea creatures. It's just, like, All you right. know, it's wow. fucked up. I but don't like, need to see that, yeah. But, yeah, but, like, I don't need that's that the whole thing. Head. Especially, like, swimming at night in the ocean especially like in the north atlantic which the water is like you can't even see in the oh, water yeah. anyway but then at night it's like holy fuck <laughs> right yeah i mean like that, i don't know seaweed could brush against my foot and oh, i'd be like i've had that I'd be tearing oh, right. out of that right. ocean yeah <laughs> <laughs> i haven't been to the ocean in quite a few years but i'm kind of scared to even go into like water up to my knees <laughs> i just well, don't yeah. I, it really freaks me out well, when
1: you can't see anything and I've been stung by jellyfish enough times in my life. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. Look at you. And it was not like the paperboy. <laughs> Nicole Kidman wasn't peeing on you? No.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't a happy ending. <laughs> I do think that this iconic opening sequence, it kind of plays into, like, the whole thing is, like, is Jaws a horror movie? Because this is very, like, horror movie morality at play here. It's like this girl is going to looking for sex, I oh, guess. Oh, yeah. She gets nude with a man she's not married to, so it's like premarital sex implied. I definitely think at times it feels a lot like a horror movie. Right. I I definitely think it it qualifies because, like I said, I think it's you know it's one of the scariest movies ever for me, because I think you know part of it being because it seems possible. Right. Because we know sharks are well, real. They certainly <laughs> use like horror techniques throughout it, and as we talked about you know, the issues with the shark caused a less is more approach. I think originally you were going to see the shark in this scene. And I think it's so great that you don't. Right. It makes it so much better. At least Spielberg had the
1: wherewithal to be like, okay, a lot of this looks terrible. Let's use some other things here. Well, it was
2: because the shark wasn't working. Yeah. It wasn't because it looked terrible. Well, they couldn't, they would lose so many days of shooting because they, the sharks would break down. They got waterlogged. They weren't, well made for salt water oh, so they okay. would sink and all
1: right i was trying to give him some credit but i guess no, I mean, I,
2: it's a good call though because i as a as a new director though you would be panicked i think some some people would have probably panicked well yeah and not been able to see this as a positive and you know fought to keep you know keep going with the sharks and and i think it's so much better to save the reveal of the shark until you're already so scared that it doesn't matter what right. it looks like. It's crazy that this movie is 43 years old because this girl who you know looks very young and vital here is now in current day is 71. <laughs> I mean, it's oh, yeah. so crazy right. to think that about. Nuts. And uh, as I said before, I think Jaws kind of has this timeless quality to it so that yeah the fact that it's aged so much now
1: that's the thing I know it's weird. It's like that uh woman from this opening scene is like somebody's grandma probably. Oh yeah. Kid's like grandma. Good lord.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Nice bush. (laughs) Obviously she is eaten by the shark in a pretty traumatic way. Yeah. The guy
1: just sort of passes out on the beach. Yeah.
2: He's oblivious. Really? So the whole thing is taking place in Amity, which is a fictional town summer resort town the next morning we meet chief martin brody played by roy scheider one of matt's spirit animals that's really true. somehow i have two and they're both in this movie <laughs> right this well i mean yeah it's it's definitely a matt movie oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's a matt cast that's true you know the part of uh brody was originally offered to robert duvall but duvall was only interested in playing Quint. charlton heston was interested but spielberg wanted somebody with a little bit lesser of, like, a known persona. Yeah. well,
1: I like Roy Scheider just kind of feels like an everyman, you know.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think Spielberg was a little worried because Scheider played, like, a tough guy in The French Connection, but, you know, I think he, he's kind of, like, the unassuming, like, I feel
1: like Scheider kind of has just, like, this tired look to him, too. Right. Like, it fits the character well.
2: Well, I, yeah, I mean, I think he definitely hits a home run in this movie. The ca- I mean, yeah, the cast is unbelievable and the acting is really oh, great, yeah, for which sure. kind of elevates the movie beyond, you know. I think the cast goes a long way to, like, what makes this a classic, obviously, and we'll, we'll get to some of the other people right as well. Well, one thing
1: that you said that I, I think really r- resonates with me and why I like some of these older movies c- and compared to, like, the modern era of the summer blockbuster – which is just like having these scenes, and, and I mean, I'm quoting you because this, uh, this perfectly summed it up. But that, like, not every scene is 100 percent about the plot, right? Like how, like the, that's how these current movies are. Like, like there's no conversation between characters that's not for something, right? Yeah, like, there's no just like normal interaction.
2: This, yeah, that I mean, Jaws definitely doesn't feel like Avengers of Infinity War. No. you know what I mean. Like, right. it, it, Jaws is like.
1: At the end, it says, Jaws will
2: return. (laughs) In Jaws 2. No, I mean, I do think that, yeah, Jaws and even Star Wars, they they kind of feel more like movies that Coppola was making or Scorsese was making or Chimino or whoever of the 70s, like... You know, it just was a different style. Like the 70s filmmaking style is more at play than like the blockbuster style that w- would kind of become more and more refined into a formulaic thing that you would get used to throughout the oh, 80s yeah. and 90s and in, into the 2000s and up until today. So, I mean, it's got that, Ameri- that classic American cinema feel to it, which, you know, the 70s was like the golden era of American filmmaking, really. Right. But Scheider became interested in the role after overhearing Spielberg talk about the film at a party. And I guess he just kind of like went for it. And I mean, honestly, it's the defining thing of his career, really. Oh, yeah. Sometimes you got to just go
1: for it. It is weird how you hear about how some of
2: these casts come together in some of these movies. Every part in this movie, including Spielberg as director, at various points was in doubt. I mean, Spielberg had su- his own kind of hesitations about doing this. It is weird because it's just these three
1: dudes are like so perfect for the roles. It feels like, yeah, and it's just I weird agree. like that all these circumstances brought it together. Although I
2: think out of all of them, and this is not a knock on Scheider at all, but I do think I could see Robert Duvall playing this part. Yeah, I could, I could buy it, right. But the other like a two, Tom Hagen, <laughs> Sheriff. Yeah. So this is Chief Brody's uh, first summer season in Amity, and it's just like, who is Brody? I right. Mean, who is this guy? Because his day to day life up until this crazy turn of events with this fucking shark seems horrible. <laughs> I mean, it's like <laughs> just a nonstop, endless parade of petty bullshit, like with people just complaining. Oh about yeah. Dumb ass well, yeah, shit. The people in this
1: town and the mayor one of my all-time favorite characters from any movie
2: <laughs> yeah i mean it's just like just people are nut. like oh this person parked on this side of the street or like this person knocked my fence but over for him, it's just I like mean, what the fuck
1: who was previously an officer in uh you know y- new, new york, york city, city yeah. and was possibly involved in some sort of weird altercations that potentially left him scarred afterwards this is just like nothing like this stuff just goes right past him he doesn't not give a shit
2: yeah and i think that definitely becomes apparent the more you learn about him and and his past and everything but like right at the beginning of the movie you're just like oh my god right that you know he's getting the call about the missing girl at his house so then he goes into the office you know and everything and it's just like people are in his ear and people are talking to him and then I, i don't know it just seems unbearable to me but yeah i mean he was looking for something that was less stressful although it's like you know he walked right into this well yeah Bullshit. So they look for this girl, Chrissy Watkins. She was the swimmer from the opening scene. Uh, they end up finding her remains washed up on the shore pretty quickly. Yeah, um, and th- not too much of an investigation. Those fucking crabs, man. Oh That's yeah, so gross. Right. <laughs> and I don't really think of crabs necessarily as like a gross thing, but just seeing just them like all devouring kinda... a dead body. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Another. Big moment in the film then is um, Brody filling out the death certificate and writing cause of death shark attack. Oh, yeah,
1: he identified it right away. Well, it's like, what the fuck else could it be? Although, like, the rest of the town is like, no,
2: no, come on. <laughs> yeah. Like, come on. I think watching this movie now in 2018, it's kind of, it just has a whole different kind of feel to it than did maybe when we were kids or, you know, whatever. Especially, certainly when it came out in 1975. But. It just now you're like this. None of this would happen. Like oh, everything well, would happen of, so differently. Right. Now. <laughs> yeah. For sure. But his first reaction obviously is to close the beach. But almost immediately, there's pressure from the mayor and some of like the town elders. I guess they pressure the medical examiner first, who change who changes his mind and wants to call it a boating accident. <laughs> it's got a very like mafioso feel to it. Oh, they yeah. like drive that car Couldn't up onto that little boat thing, and they're like riding with them around. Oh uh, right. Yeah and they're like basically telling him like this is how it's got to be. I mean, it's not <laughs> like an overt threat, but it feels very like, like heavy-handed. No, 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 no.
1: Yeah, this is not how this works.
2: And it occurs to me, you know, cuz now we're see- we're kind of experiencing Vaughn for the first time and it's just like, you know, with this film now being as old as it is, it's just like so many f- people in this movie are dead. <laughs> and it's just it, it is crazy to me. I mean, maybe it's just me. I I don't know, but I I just don't feel like this movie is that old. Right. I know, that is weird. But, like... But it
1: is pretty old.
2: Roy Scheider died in 2008 at age 75. Robert Shaw died in 1978 at age 51. Oof. Uh, Murray Hamilton, who plays Mayor, Mayor Larry Vaughn, he died in 1986 at age 63. Richard Dreyfus still alive. Yeah, Dreyfus is the only, like, main, main character. <laughs> I, I think Mrs. Brody is still alive as well. But All right. Even, like... One of Brody's kids died at like a young age of 37 in the year 2000, and Peter Benchley, who makes a cameo later, who wrote the novel, he died at age 65 in 2006, which isn't that old either. So I mean, a lot of people gone, and it just right. and obviously you can tell you can tell us. a lot of the extras are dead. I mean, a oh, lot of yeah. old people in this. Right. It's just I think it kind of just strikes me because this movie's only 43 years old. Most modern blockbusters, the cast is going to be more in their like early twenties well, now. Amity is
1: kind of similar to wh- what's the town in Roadhouse? Jasper. Yeah, Jasper, in the sense that all of the business o- owners are old.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's like red and right, like <laughs> walrus-looking guy who owns the car dealership. <laughs> yeah. So pretty early on in the film, much earlier than you know, I, I would have guessed based on just memory alone, we get to the uh, Alex Kittner scene, which you kind of referenced yeah, earlier just brutal and this obviously the beaches have stayed open against brody's better judgment
1: now the way this scene is done is certainly fun because it's like a lot of commotion brody's on edge he's trying to look out into the ocean and and i guess be on top of any potential threats but like people keep talking to him and it's kind of like you'll be in in his perspective a little bit and like someone will come into focus but when the thing actually happens they do that thing where the camera like zooms yeah. in for
2: that close-up the iconic zoom in, and I'm using iconic right. again, but like it's one, it's it's one of those like just very memorable moments of the movie. Once the actual shark attack is happening, like that realization moment right. for it Brody, it's kind of it's
1: like a visualization of like your stomach dropping, basically. Yeah,
2: it's really well done, and Spielberg's choices in the build up are great because you, you kind of get a shot of like the youngest Brody ch- kid, Sean, just like playing in the surf. There's like the intensity of the build up. And does the shark eat the dog first? We're kind of like, where'd that dog go? Because that that guy's like calling for the dog. We don't see it. And it's very busy, very chaotic. And then, uh, you know, that fucking holy shit moment of the geyser of blood. Oh, I know. And it's just like, that was a fucking child. Right. (laughs) You don't even, even in like. I mean, it's like, not for nothing. This is a dead kid we're talking about, people. Yeah. I mean, it kind of is a weird line, too, which makes this feel different from your typical Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, whatever. Because if there was a horror movie morality of the teenager, I mean, granted, I think the actress was probably closer to 30, but, you know, the the opening girl being oh, yeah. killed if, because of the premarital sex rule in a horror movie, that's thrown right out the window because you don't see little kids usually killed in, like, a stupid slasher movie. Right. Like, granted, they're supposed to be teenagers, but you know what I mean, like... Not an innocent child and this is just like a ten year old kid or whatever, and you're like, Holy shit, this is going somewhere too real.
1: And I think the <laughs> thing that is scary about that too is if you were a kid that went to the beach and stuff and you're seeing this, it's like he's not that far out in the water. <laughs> I mean it almost doesn't even make sense for how big the well, shark most is most
2: shark attacks occur in like, you know I know barely but any Jaws of water Is a fucking
1: twenty five footer. <laughs> twenty five.
2: Yeah, well. You'd be surprised. Yeah, that's true. I think this is a good moment. He was
1: able to stay down with tree barrels in him after all.
2: Oh, and then you also you uh, you know, obviously the heartbreaking thing of Mrs. Kittner calling for Alex and the tattered bloody raft oh, like yeah. watching and you're right. just like, Oh god.
1: And the subtle killing of a dog, maybe.
2: Yeah, I said that. Okay. Yeah, it's like does that dog g- I guess the dog dies first. I mean we don't know. This shark seems really fucking hungry. Right. <laughs> yeah. I think this is a well, good. Well, t- that's a continuing theme with the shark. Yeah, I think this uh, is a good time to bring up the score by John Williams, which we haven't talked about right. yet. The music obviously is visceral and simple. It's just like those two notes, kind of right.
1: But you kind of hear throughout it the little kind of magical John Williams scores as well. Like well, he yeah, he, he
2: wanted to emulate a pirate. He, he kind of considered this like a pirate well, movie. Well, you get
1: to that part where, because they do the Farewell and do My Fair Spanish Lady song, and then there's like the one right. part at yeah, yeah, the yeah. end where they play it, and it almost seems like it's straight out of Hook or something. Right,
2: yeah. Well, yeah, he saw this like he definitely scored big swaths of the film as if it was like kind of more of like a pirate adventure movie, which it definitely works because then, you know, you have the, like the very menacing shark sound or shark soundtrack part, which, you know, it could be mimicking the heartbeat of the shark or the victim or the respiration of the victim, something like that. And it's kind of becomes this perfect method for indicating impending danger, you know. And oh, it, yeah. It, Builds and builds and builds. It's kind of funny though, like Spielberg, who I guess I'm, was imagining something different originally. Thought Williams was joking, like when he was like pitching him on this Bef- I think before it was like done. before he played it. But he when he was like kind of going this idea of like the two notes, like duh, dun dun. And I think Spielberg was like, "What? Right? Well, it's like this, and then like
1: John Carpenter with Hol- the original Halloween theme, mm-hmm. just like two things taking something like really simple but like super effective."
2: Right, and I mean, obviously, Spielberg would eventually see the light, and Williams went on to win the Golden Globe and the Oscar, and the score would go down in history as one of the greatest of all time, and even Spielberg himself said that half of Jaws's success was the because of the music. Well, I mean, it yeah. It became, that, you know, as much as the poster, which is also this emblem that everyone knows, and certain scenes and certain lines of dialogue, that... The Jaws theme, you could reference that in, like, an episode of a cartoon right now, and everyone knows exactly uh, what it is. Like a perfect storm of things. Right. And, you know, I think later we'll get to a a part where the lack of the score is kind of used a couple of times, actually, very effectively as well. So, in the film, Mrs. Kittner's grief over her dead son kind of— Oh, yeah. —works as, like, a catalyst. Right. Because it it causes her, to, uh, she's going to offer this reward money.
1: Well, and she's like, you know, she eventually comes at Brody about all
2: this. So it kind of works as like an additional motivation for him. First, we have the town meeting uh, again. And this is fucking crazy to me because like well, yeah, this the is amount is of people nuts. fighting to keep the beaches open after what everybody just fucking witnessed. Right. A child being ripped apart These by a shark.
1: Capitalist psychopaths that live in this town
2: i definitely think that this movie could be interpreted as an anti-capitalist kind of right manifesto because yeah. it's like with these people because i think in the book it's a little different it's a little more explained but in the movie the idea is like well maybe they'll have to go on food stamps for the winter like they'll struggle right it'll be rough that's it yeah <laughs> it's It'll like that's it year, yeah <laughs> they're willing to like let children die though yeah. i mean it's just like wow
1: right because that's the thing i mean I, we're not clearly really pointing it out here is all these people are fighting that they need to keep the beaches open for all these tourists
2: right i mean the town survives solely upon the now, summer profits again
1: and y- you've already brought this up but it's just like now today this is this just would not
2: go no
1: and uh, even still we don't we're not really privy to like how much of this news is spread beyond the island but i mean when people come when people do come well, that people, is aren't, something
2: people aren't quick to get in the water so it's like the idea is out there yeah that's something that's kind of addressed a little differently in the novel versus the film the the main like newspaper editor guy is like a bigger character in the novel and explains it kind of explains like how this information is covered up in a weird way. Right. The the, the okay. Chrissy Watkins thing is kind of swept under the rug completely, and kind of changes the whole thing. But you know, nowadays, if there were two people killed by what could only be assumed to be one rogue shark or something, I mean, no one would be in that water. I mean, it just wouldn't be happening. There, the risk of lawsuits. Oh I mean, right. It's just yeah. like. You can't mess around like this, but I mean, it seems kind of believable for 1975, but it is like a shocking lack of compassion that some of these people have. Where you're, it's oh, it, it feels, especially like with our 2018 perspective, it feels gross where you're just like, are you fucking kidding me? Well, I mean,
1: this is when these people make hay,
2: you know, I guess they, you know, Brody does close the beaches, but it turns Selling out the like they're fucking is, boogie boards and shit. You know what I mean? It's like, how? Well the hotels and the restaurants and everything. The you know rental properties. So Brody does close the beaches, but the mayor kind of steps in and says only for twenty four hours. This is when we meet Quint and we have Robert Shaw as Quint. He kind of Just really introducing himself to the movie in an abrasive way. (laughs) Yeah, scratching the chalkboard with his fingernails. You all Uh, know me. He wants to he you know Mrs. Kittner's reward money is only like three thousand, but he wants ten thousand to catch and kill the shark. He knows it's a much bigger issue than a three thousand dollar reward. Yeah,
1: but I mean, although he may have undervalued.
2: Oh yeah, I, yeah, definitely. Shaw's performance for me is one of the main reasons that Jaws kind of goes beyond. Good movie, great movie, oh, yeah, to classic for sure. movie. For me, it's just like I true. I don't know. You truly believe that he he is this guy. Well, he that's is. The thing. It's Quint.
1: Like, you can destri- describe this character, and it's hard to imagine a character being in a movie like this, like today, and the character not being cartoony. He pulls it off in a way that feels very real yeah well there's a naturalism
2: to like all of the performers in this but yeah he feels like a real actor he feels like a daniel day lewis rather than like a i don't know who's like a the rock yeah he was never really a leading man he's a character actor and he is this guy and since people our age and younger we weren't alive to see him in roles prior to jaws so we didn't know him from the sting or the taking of pelham one two three so there was no like oh this is robert shaw it's just like oh this is this guy quint from this movie <laughs> right, like that's yeah. just, this is who he is and it's unbelievable to me that he wasn't even nominated for it's one of the most affecting performances in my opinion that i've ever seen and I, it blows my mind that Jaws was nominated for Oscars, but he wasn't one of the people nominated. Yeah,
1: it's pretty crazy.
2: I don't know. I don't get it. And I think um, he
1: shows good range too. Like as the movie goes on, because he is this like, fucking badass, but he really like goes through it and moves to like sort of puzzled and scared at times. Like, yeah. Where you know, I feel like if you see characters like this in a movie, they're very like one dimensional. Use usually.
2: They offered it to Lee Marvin and Sterling Hayden, and they both passed on it. And then, like, the producers, Zanuck and Brown, suggested Shaw to Spielberg because they had worked with him in The Sting. And Shaw, just like Spielberg and just like a lot of the other people, I mean, Shaw was, like, initially reluctant to do it. I think, like, his wife talked him into it. And it's just, be, you know, it's one of those happy accidents, just like every other right. fucking thing on this yeah. movie. It's <laughs> just like everything just worked out, which, you know, whenever you analyze these movies that go down as classics, you kind of realize that how often that oh, is the case Seriously. when things work out. Like it's just- I
1: do. A lot of times I get this idea that I'm like, wow, this choice was like so <laughs> good. And then you like find out, yeah, that it came to be in this sort of roundabout way. And you're like, OK, well, I still like it, but <laughs> it's. I guess the credit isn't really fully due to where I was thinking.
2: So then we get a little bit of time with the Brodies. We we've already met Lorraine Gary as Ellen Brody before, we but we see out. her here. Uh,
1: Mrs. Brody, a real minx. I mean, stacked. Yeah, and just <laughs> I mean, she seems like she's down to clown a little bit. <laughs> I mean, she's throwing things out there
2: like, "Do you want to get drunk
1: and fool around?" To her husband. I mean, she just seems like a fun
2: time. Yeah, and we talked about this before with the '70s filmmaking, but I think something like that kind of is an undercurrent throughout the entire film is the looseness of it. It's just a very loose feeling to some of these scenes, like her saying that, and just kind of them having that drink. Which, I you know, when we watched it, I compared it to the parents smoking pot and poltergeist. Oh right, yeah. It's just something you don't really see now. Is that the characters becoming people? Yeah. You know, because I think now people are afraid to let things breathe like they did in 70s films, and they would be like, well, we need to have another scene with the shark here, or something, right. or we need to have a chase scene, or something. Yeah. You
1: know? And the whole movie needs to build to a climax where the shark gets on land and destroys Amity.
2: With a machine gun. Right. <laughs> and then The Rock shows up. Right. Well, I would, to be fair, I right. would definitely see that yeah. movie. <laughs> Yeah, and there's like a funny little scene with the son, Michael, in a boat. Martin wants him to get out of it, and then uh, Ellen's kind of like saying. Oh, who cares? Like it's his birthday tomorrow. He's in a boat, and then she opens that book like right to a picture of a shark biting through a boat. She's like,
1: get out of there now. Yeah. (laughs) Didn't you hear your father?
2: Yeah, it's pretty funny. But it's established, It's you know, it's been established at this point that Martin has a fear of water, and he doesn't want that. He says that he doesn't want that for his son, but it's like his son was in the water, right. basically swimming in the blood of the kidner boy. on your head, yeah. I would never even take that a That little p- kidner boy's guts are just floating all around you. I mean, Jesus Christ. He's, I, mean, I think it's too late, Martin. Right. I think he's fucked. And then we get the two idiots with the roast trying to catch the shark on oh, like a yeah. shitty dock.
1: That would be like you and me <laughs> just out there. And that's cut. $3,000 reward. Yeah. <laughs> we could buy, like, every Criterion collection when they're
2: on sale at Barnes & Noble. <laughs> and this is cut with, you know, back and forth with, like, Brody's continuing crash course on sharks.
1: Well, that's the other thing. It's like but all, this all these fucking dopes in town that are like, oh, yeah, we're shark hunters
2: now, too. Well, 3000 bucks in that's 1975. Right. Yeah. Yeah, this scene in particular has great tension, though. And, again, you still don't see the shark. But the shark, I guess, grabs the giant hook with the bait on it and pulls the entire fucking dock into the ocean. And the one guy gets pulled out with it. And it's like this really dramatic chase just signified by the sharks continuing to drag that dock. Oh, yeah. And the guy trying to swim back, you know, and his friend like trying to urge him on. Yeah, this part is scary. <laughs> yeah. The guy ends up getting out. And you still don't see the shark at all, but it's just, it's, you're fucking losing it. I, well, like, yeah. You're like, holy I'd, shit. I'd be like, I don't really feel like shark hunting anymore. Yeah. So the next morning, I guess, there's chaos on the water for Mrs. Kittner's reward money. This is when we meet Richard Dreyfus as Matt Hooper. A.K.A. Matt Crosby. <laughs> a young Matt Crosby somewhere a- watching this movie being like, I need I- that to be my look. Right. And my life. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I saw it when I was a kid and I was just like, yeah, I'm really going to strive to be like a portly little, you know, curly head balding dude with a bad beard.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's mission it's, accomplished it is. when he first gets off that boat and he's wearing the hat and the jean jacket. And so I'm just it's like shocking. Right. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God, Matt just walked into this movie. How
1: are you on the screen and in that
2: chair? <laughs> Dreyfus was suggested to Spielberg. By Spielberg's friend, George Lucas, as Dreyfus had acted in Lucas's American Graffiti two years earlier.
1: Which is weird because it does seem between those two years, it seemed like he aged like ten years. He looks a lot younger in American Graffiti. Well that beard really ages him up.
2: I get well, yeah, I know. Yeah, I mean, before Dreyfus had been brought to his attention, Spielberg was definitely considering some people that we've experienced on the pod with both of the younger male leads from the last picture show, Timothy Bottoms and Jeff Bridges, as well as uh, John Voight and Joel Gray. I think like originally Dreyfus again, <laughs> a recurring theme didn't want to do it. Right. And then panicked. No but, one wanted to be in this fucking movie. And was like calling Spielberg up being like, okay, yeah, I'll do it. Cause he, he was afraid that he was going to get panned for his performance in some other movie. And turns out he wasn't, but His own like insecurity made him panic and take this, thinking he was never gonna get offered anything again.
1: This is sort of unrelated, but this was another when we were talking about this yesterday. I I feel like I remember reading about Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Like while Jaws was going on, he Richard Dreyfuss was campaigning with Spielberg about him giving him the role in that. Yeah, probably just another thing going on all while they're like making another movie.
2: I'm sure there was a lot of downtime to talk about future project ideas because this fucking shark wasn't working. Yeah.
1: (laughs) How many days did they spend
2: filming this movie? 159. Jeez. I mean, it's not quite Eyes Wide Shut, but... Yeah, which is like 400 (laughs) or something. (laughs) This whole massive shark hunt spurred on by the reward money is just, like, completely nuts. I mean, there's... Bombs, dynamite, buckets of blood. <laughs> yeah, that is nuts. Even a bored looking golden retriever. <laughs> I mean, there's so many things on these boats, and it's just a mess on the ocean, a traffic jam of dozens and dozens of little gas powered motorboats and whatnot. Hooper examines the remains of Chrissy Watkins, confirms it was a shark. This was opening no accident. Although, yeah, at this point, for the audience, it's like, no shit. Yeah. But. His kind of like chastising tone here towards Brody, it, it kind of hints at the impending power struggle that will kind of play out throughout the rest of the film, especially like the climax of the film. I think in the movie, Hooper and Brody's relationship is okay. It's not terrible. But, you know, I think a big part of the end of this movie is kind of the three personalities and the, like the right. shifts of power well, and Well, I do that think stuff.
1: Hooper and Brody both share a... They identify themselves as people who are outside of the other people of this town. Yes. Brody living there, but from New York City, Hooper not from there at all. But they are are able to kind of think outside of the box of the rest of this town.
2: Well, clearly we understand that Brody wanted to close the beaches. And so now, you know, he potentially sees an ally in Hooper. Because Hooper's coming in and being like, I- I'm not going to listen to this bullshit about a boating accident. Right. You know, <laughs> yeah. This is a fucking shark attack. These beaches need to be closed. The Coast Guard needs to be notified, et cetera, et cetera. And so it does make Brody seem foolish because obviously Hooper's going to come in and not necessarily understand the politics of the town. And he's going to think this fucking hayseed of a chief of police not doing anything and letting a shark right. kill yeah. a second person what the fuck
1: i do like the idea of something just being determined a quote unquote boating accident <laughs> this girl's like severed in half it's like what was the boat? did she fall into the propeller
2: it kind of captured my imagination with that too because i'm like that would be a fucking gruesome thing to think about right <laughs> yeah <laughs> even more so than a shark attack really yeah
1: <laughs> what happened like to the people on the boat fuck. right
2: it'd be a huge boat i guess yeah that's what i'm guessing like And a, like a hit and run or something well, no, like a boat the size like of a liner or something that wouldn't even, yeah, they did not even notice it, yeah, yeah, which is horrifying to right. think about.
1: Meanwhile, the fucking boyfriend
2: or whatever sleeping on the beach, never heard this giant fucking boat. Well, I think the idea is like he didn't really even know her. Yeah, they just met at that right. party. Yeah, I know. <laughs> He's just jacking off on the beach. Yeah. <laughs> Back of the docks, some fishermen have caught a tiger shark, and then Quint passing by on a boat and Hooper. Are the only ones who seem to know that this is not the right shark, right? Quint just kind of like looks over and he's like, "No," and then like Cooper is measuring the mouth and everything and is just like, "Yeah, I don't think this is the right one." I'm just
1: saying the bite radius on that.
2: What kind of shark is it? It's a tiger shark. A what? (laughs) (laughs) That I always remember that part. It's like (laughs) a what? Yeah, he starts kind of telling Brody this because Brody at first is like fuck yeah this is the shark this it's is a shark uh,
1: no this is our shark he's yeah. like
2: there's no sharks like this in this water but then he starts talking about the bite radius and blow blah, 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 and he starts convincing brody and so brody and kind hooper of, he, brody's still like buying it for a while though yeah but they take it to the mayor and the mayor's like Look, not fellas. buying it and they're like yeah. well we got to cut cut open the shark and see if this is the right shark
1: yeah that boy <laughs> will still be inside which is kind of – I will say, I mean, the mayor is, like, crazy a lot, but what these guys are requesting here is kind of nuts. <laughs> I don't want you to do a
2: half-assed autopsy <laughs> on a fish. Yeah. Watch that little Kittener boy spill out on the dock. Yeah. Very colorful and fun language from the mayor. Right. Here. But I just wrote down insanity. It's just insane that they are f- – they it's just crazy that they fight every oh, step right, of yeah. the way – when it's just like, why would but you I do not like, want to be sure? The
1: weird thing is, though, that the, the, it, these are the only choices. Cut the shark open here or not at all. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's like Brody has this brilliant idea later after a couple of glasses of wine that they can go after uh, Hooper convinces him. Right. But, but Obviously, but it's like in this moment, in this scene, they act like they have to do it now or never.
2: And so we h- kind of get the big moment of Mrs. Kittner walking up in her... You know, black just dress and veil.
1: Tragic. Yeah.
2: And the slap on Chief Brody. The slap
1: heard around the world.
2: It always upset me as a kid because you know that Brody wanted to close the beach. That damn and Mayor And not Vaughn. to blame. And yeah. it's like the mayor is such a pussy just standing right. there not saying shit. Yeah. Just a really gross scene from him. But uh, basically,
1: yeah. She's like, you knew that there was a goddamn shark attack. You and, knew. Right. <laughs> and you knew about it.
2: So now before Hooper shows up uninvited to the Brody's house, um, (laughs) we have that scene of the son, like the youngest son, Sean, mimicking his father, the chief. And this is just another very Spielberg moment. Again, talking about like that looseness of the film. There's really no reason to include this. Oh, right. Yeah. Other than it's just like you get to know these characters a little bit. Mm hmm. And I told you that they used this scene as a flashback in Jaws four, that is, which is crazy.
1: I don't have much memory of the other Jaws movies, other than just catching parts of
2: them. Oddly enough, I saw that there was some article that just came out uh, talking about Spielberg's original idea for Jaws two, which obviously Spielberg didn't have anything to do with Jaws two, but he wanted to do like a prequel about the USS Indianapolis.
1: Oh, that would be kind of cool, and
2: dark. Yeah, would be crazy. I think like the the article was like saving private Ryan meets jaws or something. <laughs> <Wow. laughs> it was like oh god.
1: Yeah, a bloody affair.
2: But yeah, jaws w- I think when we recently saw Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom afterwards I was kind of saying that right. Jurassic Park was similar to You are like this isn't jaws. that far from Jaws 4. It is though. Yeah. <laughs> Jurassic World even the Lost World I've never seen Jurassic Park 3 but even okay, the yeah, Lost World I which it. I consider to be not good right the the sequels to Jurassic Park are way better the sequels yeah, to I Jaws know. are yeah, garbage it's like they're straight garbage right I mean Jaws 2 isn't terrible if it would have been Jaws 1 but like the idea <laughs> that the exact same thing is happening yeah, with the right. same people is stupid and then Jaws 3 is a nightmare of how terrible it is and Jaws 4 is even worse <laughs> Jaws yeah. 4 is maybe one of the worst movies watch ever some of made. I Jaws
1: 2 on Netflix like last summer or whatever. Now, that is the Brody family again. Yeah. But that's it. Like, Hooper's uh, not in it.
2: No, no, I don't think so. No. Yeah. So they got Roy Scheider to come back for one sequel. And Mrs. Hooper. Yeah, and she comes, Brody. Sorry. Yeah, Mrs. Hooper. And Bro- she well, comes back for Jaws 4 as well. Yeah. But not If it's the Scheider. book,
1: though, <laughs>
2: potentially Mrs. Future Hooper. So after, okay, so then Hooper invites himself over. To the Brodies for dinner, they go eventually and cut the tiger shark open. They just th- gross white stuff <laughs> all over the floor. Yeah, the, really not looking good. Uh, kind of memorable moment of pulling the license plate, the Louisiana license plate out. Yeah, just as I thought. It is crazy though because like a tiger shark seems more unbelievable in those waters than a great white.
1: Th- that's what I would think. I I don't know.
2: Yeah, we're believe it or not, we're not marine biologists. <laughs> we don't know anything. Right. But I, I
1: mean, I've told people I'm a marine biologist. Tiger
2: sharks seem way more of a warm water fish to me. I think great whites can kind of go anywhere.
1: Okay. Yeah, I'll buy that.
2: But I don't know. I mean, I guess a tiger shark could be anywhere, too. But, I mean, it just seems unlikely. Right. But anyway. The um, big thing
1: with a tiger shark is they'll eat anything. They're like a garbage disposal.
2: Yeah, like the Zack of the ocean. Right. <laughs> if you cut me open you could probably pull out a license plate <laughs> it's a metal can <laughs> so they hop on they f- so in other words they confirm that this is not the right shark they hop on Hooper's boat to go out looking because a great white will f- or our shark will feed at night I guess by this point Hooper probably believes it's a great white it has yet to be uttered I think people who know anything about sharks would see the poster or the cover of the movie and know what kind of shark we're looking for. But as far as the characters go, I'm assuming Hooper thinks it's a great white, but it hasn't really been uttered yet. No one said the words great white, really. No, 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 that's true, yeah. Not until he finds the tooth coming up in a minute. But right. We kind of get some funny dialogue between the two because they're both drunk, and Hooper says something like, it's kind of like a guy that's afraid of the water being the chief of police on an island. And Well, it's only
1: an <laughs> island if you look at it from the water.
2: Yeah, that's, that That makes a lot of I sense. <laughs>
1: that is a funny part because you're like, what the hell is he talking about? I guess that's how he rationalizes it with himself.
2: Yeah, meaning like if you're on it, what difference does it right. make? You yeah. know what I mean? Because you're still on land, but I don't know. You know, while they're out looking for the shark, they track down a local fisherman, Ben Gardner. They f- They see his boat, and it's kind of just, you know, bobbing, seemingly unmanned. A lot of cool visuals here. From the spotlight on Hooper's boat, cutting through the thick fog of the night.
1: Now Hooper has like a great boat.
2: Yeah, I mean, rich guy's boat.
1: Yeah, you pointed it out while we're watching it. I mean, I feel the same way. It does look like not even of this time. It's very modern looking. It's very jarring compared to the rest of the film. You know, like yeah,
2: compared to the everything else. Going on in the film, the aesthetic, the hippies at the beginning, the the look of Quint's boat later, the look of the clothes, everything. It's very jarring to look at Hooper's boat. It seems like the most modern thing they could have bought in 1975, which I guess makes sense because he's like this rich, loaded, yeah, yeah. But this is fucking crazy because Hooper goes into the water to investigate, and this is when he finds the tooth. Two things were changed from the initial test screening of this movie, and this is one of them where they reshot this sequence because Spielberg wanted there to be like a bigger scare here. And the, the severed head of Ben Gardner is a fucking crazy moment oh, for yeah. this movie. Oh, yeah. It's pretty nuts. <laughs> because you, at the, I mean, this. And it's a loud,
1: like, noise cue here, right. too. Right. Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah. Definitely going to get your attention. And. At this point, this movie has been so scary and the tension's been built up so much and now this fucking idiot goes into the water. So you're expecting the shark and you have your mindset that like, oh shit, something scary is going to happen. It's going to be the shark. And then this fucking head Oh right, drifts yeah. in. <laughs>
1: you're just like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, it is good. It's well executed.
2: But Spielberg reshot this in a pool at his own expense to make this scarier because he wanted there to be one more big scare in the movie. And it's, it is, like, a crazy moment. I still think the movie would be fine without it. It but. is,
1: like, too. Like, I mean, not even just the production. The post-production on these movies just going on for, like, so long.
2: So, they bring this information back, but the mayor refuses to close the beach. He's satisfied with the death of this tiger shark, even though, according to Hooper, the fucking oceanographic expert, it's a great white. He's just, like, he doesn't want to buy it. And it's just... Again, you're just like this is fucking nuts. These people, it's just so crazy. I know, because even if they didn't have the proof of the giant well, great white tooth that right. that uh, well, Hooper I, I, this drops, this n- I
1: know Hooper's like, I just pulled a tooth the size of a shot glass, which is like a weird reference point. Like, yeah, I don't the know. size of a shot glass.
2: Wh- why would that really? I, mean, like- I guess a a classic shot glass. I mean, that would be like a big tooth.
1: Yeah, I know, but it's like I don't know. That's not what I would go to. But either way the mayor's like well do you have this tooth it's like but he, they <laughs> still had the body
2: of the tiger shark cut up on the dock i mean right. they they know that this the body of the boy wasn't in there yeah it's like what are they it's just like a very anti science movie because it's like the scientist tells you that the shark's digestion is slow the boy would still be in there if the shark ate the boy. The boy's not in there. This isn't the shark. It's not that hard. I'm a but marine they, biologist. They refuse <laughs> Yeah, they needed George Costanza. Right. They refused to believe science, which is kind of frustrating, horrifying, and it's like very prescient for our current times with people that refuse to acknowledge like science. Me. It's just like crazy. So the hustle and bustle of the Fourth of July is happening, and we see a quick cameo of Peter Benchley as a news reporter. But it's so crazy because no one wants to go in the water, which makes sense. But then the mayor pressures like an old couple with <laughs> their grandkids <laughs> to go into the water. And it's just like they're leading mayor, these yeah, tiny at children. This, at this point, it's just like the mayor is just a villain. Yeah, well, he definitely is. It's like right. a 10 year old boy was just killed. If you're these grandparents, is be like, well, no, we're not b- taking well, these kids the into this water. Get. And I
1: mean, I understand like the argument you can make as to where this would be headed. But when I'm watching this, I'm just like, well, who cares if they go in the water? All these people came. They're all at the beach. I mean, the town is still making its money.
2: You're right. I just think maybe they're the mayor's like, well, if people don't go in the water, it seems like everyone's scared. So, A, people are going to leave early. No one else is going to come. It's going to feel like a disaster. So like it has to, Everything has to seem like business as usual. I don't know. But, it, I mean, it just seems crazy at this point. We get the fake shark false alarm. With the kids and the giant cardboard fin or whatever. Which, see, those kids seem way too young to be do, pulling this prank, which seems fucking crazy. But whatever. One of the things I wanted to point out here, though, was no music, no score. No dun 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 Right. That's the clue to the viewer that this is not the real shark. But as this is, like, all unfolding and it's like they have to evacuate everyone out of the ocean, that's when the real shark actually does head into that estuary pond where brody had sent his son michael you know to play with his friends on that boat and it's just like what the fuck is going on with the shark the shark has impeccable timing oh i know Because yeah. it knew right then that's the moment to go in there well, and the shark
1: really uh manipulative <laughs>
2: i mean he's really playing mind games with sheriff brody in particular so there's this idiot on a rowboat talking to those kids and it's just like who is this guy uh, aside from a being a creep yeah the shark like knocks him hey, out kids, of the boat how you doing <laughs> <laughs> are you all right over there and the shark just like knocks that guy out of the boat and eats him and you see that like severed leg fall to the floor but like this is the first time we actually see the shark now they're referring, to and this it's fucking like crazy. Like I will say, it's scary to see the shark the first time. Oh, I agree. It, yeah. When the, when it's just that far overhead shot, looking down, and you see it in the water, right, coming up on the guy, kind yeah. of. That's fucking cool. That's yeah. a cool. shot. Oh, I agree. Yeah.
1: I mean, it is it, one of the weird things here is like they're in this little like bay that they're referring to as a pond, right? Which is it's like an estuary, far from a
2: pond. Yeah. Yeah, it's still connected to the ocean. Right. <laughs> so it's like i don't really understand brody's thinking there if he's if he knows that the shark is still what does he think the shark isn't gonna go in there i know i don't know what it is funny though like this guy gets eaten and you know brody's kid goes into shock and everything but it's like no one really cares no one seems to care Uh, that this guy not not making a big deal of it this guy was like a a local child molester obviously well certainly (laughs) yeah they were like okay (laughs) <laughs> the like, shark got one good one. Like, yeah, like when they come back from the hospital, they're like throwing a parade, right. like celebrating the shark eating this I guy. Enjoy,
1: I mean, when they take, you know, Sheriff Brody's kid to the hospital, it's like Mrs. Brody never puts pants on. No. I enjoy that.
2: No pants. Uh, at the hospital, the mayor finally signs the contract to hire Quint to kill the shark, which, you know, well, obviously. the mayor's shock
1: now, too. I mean, he's a little bit like, you know, not to the level where he needs it's to be hospitalized. Finally, like, I, yeah, I mean, it's finally it's hitting home. My kids were on that beach too.
2: Yeah, <laughs> shut the fuck up. Yeah, no ass. kidding. Yeah, you th- asshole. They've been
1: on it every time. I'm sure they live at the goddamn beach.
2: You could say that it's like the power of denial. I mean, it's hard to even figure out what the fuck anybody's thinking. That that it just like I said, they're just denying science. The scientist is saying this isn't the shark for all these reasons, and you're just ignoring it for your own greed or whatever. <laughs> Global warming isn't real. <laughs> But this kind of brings me to some of the key differences between the novel and the film. Kind of in the run up to doing this episode, I reread the novel in one night. Wow! And uh, <laughs> really worth it? Or I had I had read it as a kid. Did you um, get any good notes out of the novel? No, I decided not to read a paragraph about Ellen Brody's yawning vagina or whatever <laughs> that that thing that I read. You? <laughs> oh boy! Yeah. But in the book, Ellen Brody and Hooper have an affair. Including like a midday hookup at a seedy motel, which kind of just—I mean, I will say—if that was the movie, though, I would be pretty into it. It's a strange thing to read. Obviously, the book came out before the movie did, so it kind of existed in its own way. But, but you're when like, you—what's the point of
1: having this when you scene see in the, the, the movie
2: first and then you read that? You're like, what? It, it really doesn't add much, other than it kind of creates this tension between Brody and Hooper, because like Brody suspects it, right? But he doesn't know for sure, but it's kind of this like lingering thing, especially when they, you know, eventually go out on the orca with Quint to kill the shark or whatever. And then the other big difference is Mare Vaughn faces additional pressure in the novel from basically what amounts to like the mafia to keep the beaches open because this organized crime group has invested in rental properties and if the beaches are all closed the rental properties will be worthless. And so they're pressuring him because he got in over his head because his wife had been ill oh, and he wow, owed yeah, money. Yeah, a web of. Yeah, he he's all entangled with organized crime. So that it kind of actually makes more sense as to why because in the like movie this when you start when you, when you start questioning it in the movie, you're like, Jesus, these people are fucking sociopaths. <laughs> yeah, but it makes it cleaner though for the movie. It's it, you don't want to. Start, once you start going down that path, it would get overcomplicated and you would be like, what?
1: I know. that It would feel completely out of place. <laughs>
2: there are three more major, not well, I feel like there are major differences involving the film's climax, and I'll point them out as we get to them. Yeah. So now the last voyage of Quint's ship, the Orca, accounts for nearly half of the film's runtime. Now Quint pulls
1: up in the Orca and you're like, this is the boat they're taking out?
2: Right, especially after you see Hooper. This fucking dump. I guess the orca is technically bigger. Yeah, that's true. I definitely think that the rest of the film kind of comes this power struggle between the three leads, like shifting of roles, a clash of styles. Brody, who is an authority figure on land, is kind of treated like an idiot on the the ocean. Deck
1: boy, yeah. Even at the parts where he's like trying to like act like he's an equal to Hooper, where he's like, oh, make him do a turn of, like, throwing right, this, like, yeah. bloody fish into the water. And even fucking Quint, who's, like, constantly giving Hooper shit, yeah, is just like,
2: it's, no, Hooper drives the boat. Yeah, it's extra humiliating right. because you know Quint hates Hooper <laughs> and yet is still treating Brody as... In the pecking order. Yeah, you're, like, low man. Here. Right. You know, pretty early on, we get the pretty famous line, you're going to need a bigger boat, improvised by Roy Scheider. And the barrels which come into play. Oh, yeah. You know, this is, again, the less is more idea because, you know, th- it wasn't always easy to use the shark here. So this idea of them using the barrels to tire out the shark to be able to kill it works cinematically because you can just see the barrels and they indicate where the shark is. Right, it's, yeah. It's kind of a great tool to have at your disposal, especially when your mechanical shark is constantly on the fritz.
1: Yep. When they're like, preparing to go out, you see Hooper loading all of his gadgets and stuff into the orca as well. We kinda have like a clashing of styles because Quint certainly has more of that old man in the sea or Moby Dick like, just like Yeah, two out.
2: big influences on the novel and on that character in particular, yes right. for sure. Yeah,
1: and then Hooper has like this modern I don't even know
2: how you would like a more of a discovery channel type feel. He's just like a rich it's it's kinda like the working class. Versus the rich boy, right? And he's got all this. Tech- the Harvard. He's kid. loading
1: that like cage in, and uh, Quint is just like mocking. You go into the cage. Cage goes in the water. Sharks in the water. Our shark. <laughs> like-
2: <laughs> it's crazy because I mean, to this point, halfway through the movie, we've barely seen Quint yet. Now, for the second half, Quint is such a major presence,
1: right? Getting a lot of lines in. Like that's the thing. He's not in the first half of the movie, but he gets so much dialogue in the second half that he probably has like as many lines as anybody else
2: yeah ain't you watching this hooper one of the big changes that i was referencing is in the book they kind of go out during the day and then return at night you know several times until they finally yeah i'm glad they did not do it that way that would have been dumb turning this into one big overnight affair you know where they shoot some barrels into the shark and then it kind of starts getting late and they're gonna have to just keep going is so much better, right? Just yeah. one big thing to end this movie on. It just works so much better, and obviously the the night portion on the boat is probably one of the most famous parts of this movie. Yeah, which, just classic sequence. Yeah, we have the famous scar comparison scene, mostly between Quint and Hooper, and the, you I know, got that beat. Brody has one that he's kind of like reluctant to show, and I kind of was. At, You know, curious to get your thoughts on what that was all about.
1: Yeah, I mean, I certainly think he was uh, mauled in some sort of attack.
2: Yeah, probably. I was guessing maybe stabbed. Stabbed by a bum. A bum. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking a criminal or something when he was in New York, but who knows. And this kind of leads into the famous monologue from quint the uss indianapolis thing just an unbelievable addition to this story oh, no. it provides this crazy this, backstory to this character right I and mean, you I kind of say, understand this man and who he is i swear,
1: I mean i would watch this movie when i was younger and it i, I still feel like so many times i would watch it and i just feel like this fucking story is horrifying but i still don't really get it what is actually happening like the thing that he's describing like i get most of it but I, you're like. It's hard to even picture what's happening. How are you surviving underwater for so long? Like, <laughs> underwater? That's what it seems like. You know what I mean? Like Sharks are just coming to like, pick them off. But, you know, like, that gets well, they're a,
2: floating on the life jackets and like little rafts and yeah. whatnot and pieces of the submarine, I guess. In 1945, the sinking of the Indianapolis led to the greatest single loss of life at sea from a single ship in the history of the U.S. Navy. The ship had just finished a high-speed trip to United States Army Air Force base at Tinian to deliver parts of Little Boy, the first nuclear weapon ever used in combat and was on her way to the Philippines on training duty. At 0, 01500 hours on July 30th, 1945, the ship was torpedoed by the Imperial Japanese Navy submarine I-58 and sank in 12 minutes. Of 1,195 crewmen aboard, approximately 300 went down with the ship. The remaining 900 faced exposure, dehydration, saltwater poisoning, and shark attacks while floating with few lifeboats and almost no food or water. The Navy learned of the sinking when survivors were spotted four days later by the crew of a PV-1 Ventura on routine patrol. Only 316 survived.
1: Well, go ahead and put torpedoes up there on my list of things that I'm afraid of. What are you going to do? I mean, if you're on a boat and, like, someone shoots a torpedo at you, it's just like, I don't know. Anytime I see that in war movies, whether it's, like, submarine or, like, Dunkirk in that one part they get hit with a torpedo, it's just yeah. like, you're done. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, I mean, it's obviously it's kind of unclear as to how many of the people were killed by sharks. Only 300 people ended up surviving this entire or 316 out of 1195
1: now one of the things too that kind of plays into the scene is like he had a tattoo for the uss indianapolis but he had it removed right
2: isn't that yeah what that's it what it says i don't really know what that means exactly. i
1: don't know i guess like
2: he wants to forget about the horrors of it if that was me i mean i would never want to go in the water again i don't right. understand yeah. what this why he's living his life like, on the i guess In a weird way, I mean, he is very Captain Ahab, and instead of there being, like, one white whale, it's kind of like this shark is any shark. It's just sharks, and he's made a life out of killing sharks. (laughs) Yes. I don't even think would Revenge. be allowed today. Okay, so at a popular northeast beach today, like a couple people were killed by the, what they assumed to be one shark. I mean, do you can you imagine a scenario where they're like, "We're gonna go out and kill this shark"? Well, first of all, this shark would have like its own Instagram account. <laughs> people fucking
1: protesting it's about left shark
2: yeah. from Katy Perry's Super Bowl right. performance. No matter how <laughs> many
1: people that shark killed, there would be like, so many more people being like. Save this shark.
2: Well, shark. It, the shark didn't do anything wrong. It's like shark it's just doing do what, what a sh- shark does, right? And it, so, yeah, yeah it would people, never happen. I mean. There would be no scenario of like we're going out to kill this shark. Especially, I don't know. I I wanted to do a Vegan little actress bit. Actress and Morrissey just posting like horrific photos. <laughs> I wanted to to do a little bit more research on great whites before we started this, but I didn't get around to it. I don't know, I mean, I think like sharks are like borderline endangered species, at least some of them I guess I would think some of them are yeah, so i mean i I don't think you can just go out and like kill a great white shark, like probably I, don't, not. I don't think hunting a great white shark is really allowed no,
1: I don't know. Pr- I'm gonna say probably not, it's probably like poaching or something.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. This whole concept of them you know, going out to just kill a shark just seems kind of from a different era. <laughs> like, right. I just can't imagine yeah. this ever happening anywhere. Eventually, the shark just starts attacking the boat, and this kind of starts to transform this into something seemingly less based in reality. I just can't imagine that this would be how a shark would ever act. They make it seem like the, the shark is aware that it's fighting with these people. To try and rationalize it in my own head,
1: yeah, it, it's not really having too tough a time with all these barrels in it, but it's kind of keeping it maybe in that same little area. I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm
2: grasping it. just seems it. crazy that the shark is just – well, At a certain pl- point, it's just I'm fighting this boat. Right. Which yeah, I just th- don't think a shark would ever yeah. think
1: like that.
2: Right. Sharks don't think, really. I, I mean, yeah,
1: <laughs> it's going under the boat several times. <laughs>
2: But, I mean, obviously you kind of buy it in the naturalistic performances of all the actors. You're just very in this moment. And after this incredible monologue from Quint and everything, it's just like, you're just willing to buy whatever's happening. Yeah. You just, oh, this certainly. is happening. It's just This is real. And so it doesn't matter. Like, when you actually break it down, you're like, the shark looks incredibly fake once you start seeing it a lot. And it doesn't make any sense how it's acting. It would never do this stuff. Right. Especially when it leaps onto the boat at one point. Well,
1: yeah. But there are some fun... I mean, there's some fun jump scares throughout this whole sequence. I mean, whenever uh, Brody is right... His head is kind of down towards the water and the shark pops up right next to him. Yeah. And he, like, backs up and has that, like, bewildered look on his face and has the famous line. But it's just that, that part is pretty great and then i feel like there's another one where the shark kind of has like a jump up yeah when
2: they're trying to do something with the ropes oh right yeah it just kind of pops up there yeah quint ends up destroying the radio which is kind of one of many indications that he's mentally unbalanced we kind of talked about it the shark continues to stay engaged with the orca quint pushes the engine until it finally gives out i mean there's a realization that Quint has lost his mind and that the boat is definitely going to sink but it's to me it's more like it it is also just like Quint hitting a wall and being like i thought that this stuff was going to work and they've at one point have shot you know three barrels into this thing and it's still fighting them and it's not seemingly getting any tired or or weaker and it's bigger i think than they thought it was going to be I don't think they were prepared for it to be 20 to 25 feet. And then it's just
1: 20 footer, 25.
2: Quint is at his ropes and it's just like, I don't know what to do. Right. And that's when yeah. it, it leads to Hooper's shark cage kind of as a last resort. Yeah.
1: I mean, Quint is kind of just becoming more unraveled with the whole thing because fucking Brody's trying to like call the Coast Guard and shit or whatever. And uh, Quint just destroys the radio with a baseball bat. <laughs> I mean, he very much is, yeah, it is that old man in the sea type feel where he's just like, it's us versus fucking nature. We're going to win here. But then it's like it gets to the point where it's like, well, maybe this was a mistake. I, we might be like outmatched.
2: Well, yeah, because after the, he blows the engine, the boat has been taking on so much water. and It's just like we're going to sink. I mean, this is there's nothing we can't call for help. Right. <laughs> so yeah. it's like we're going to sink now. They're like, let's hurry up and put this shark cage together. Maybe we'll be able to kill it with the poison. But unsurprisingly, it doesn't go well. No. <laughs> um, I this mean, is know where know they what? first... You're
1: going to put a fucking cage in the water with a man inside it versus a shark. It's just, it,
2: I, I Especially mean, a shark this big.
1: You ever thought this plane was going to... I mean, this plane never looked good.
2: Not not really. You're going to need a much sturdier cage than that. This is where we first get like some real shark footage intercut into it. It never quite matches up. It never looks right. The real shark is a lot smaller than the fake one but down in australia they had some nature photographers i guess uh oceanographic people okay working on some stuff and they were filming the real sharks and they got that footage of a real shark destroying an empty cage and that basically is what keeps hooper's character alive because in the book and in the original version of the script hooper's character gets eaten when the shark breaks into the cage okay right but they had that footage, and they're like, well, we want to use that, and nobody's in the cage, and that cage isn't like as destroyed, and there isn't any blood anywhere or anything. And They yeah, couldn't just yeah. fix things with computers, right. so they couldn't make it look right. But Spielberg was like, that footage is unbelievable because it's just, got like, it. a it's real just, yeah. shark tearing this cage apart. So they made it so that Hooper escapes out of the cage and just, like, goes and swims and hides on the ocean floor.
1: Hooper hides from Shark successfully. That that water— It's absurd. The water that he's
2: hiding in at the bottom there doesn't seem deep enough. True, yeah. It seems like they're way too far out for that to be how deep it is. But whatever. I mean, I get that (laughs) the the ocean floor is uneven, but it just seems crazy. Yeah. He's just like, I'm going to go hide. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Successfully, though. But like I said, I mean, at this point in this movie, you're just like, I'm in, so whatever. Yep. And then when the shark finally just attacks the boat with a purpose, and you know, just leaping onto the deck, (laughs) there's no music whatsoever, and it kind of catches you off guard. You know, whoa! I guess this is happening right now. Yeah. I guess this is uh, it.
1: Quint really, uh, Shark Master, not prepared for this.
2: It is kind. Of, it's always kind of disappointing how easily Quint kind of just goes out here. Right. You're kind of just like, dude, come on.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> so he, the shark, eats Quint. Yeah. In kind of a very memorable moment. Honestly, kind of a shitty way to go if we're if we're to believe his backstory yeah. about the Indi- Indianapolis. It's That's like tough. Dude. That's a tough loss. But it's like, but at the same time, it's like you didn't learn your lesson. I guess stay out of the fucking exactly. ocean. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. From this point on, the shark looks real fake when it crashes through. And probably like
1: the dumbest again. part. Yeah. When it, it just
2: through ate th- through the front of the boat. Uh, yeah. Because this plays into what I was saying, where it's like the shark at this point is just fighting these people. I just feel like and it's like a shark would never do. this. I feel stuff.
1: like the shark should have just stayed at the bottom where it was, where it ate Quint And like the whole thing with the fucking tank going into its mouth should have all happened all within like this one sequence here like
2: well i guess they wanted to make it so that he could shoot the tank and blow the shark up without blowing himself up so he needed the shark to swim away right but it is crazy it's like how does that fucking tank stay right there on the edge of the shark's mouth if it was a real shark right it wouldn't stay there it would either (laughs) fall out of its mouth or it would somehow swallow it which you would think it would explode or something in its stomach which would be cool and would work but it wouldn't be as dramatic as having brody do it true I just don't know how it's just – it's like it's stuck on the corner of its mouth but not going anywhere.
1: Now, does he say, smile, you son of a bitch, explosion, or is it, smile, you son of a explosion?
2: I always thought it was son of a bitch. Me too,
1: until we watched it last night, and then I was like
2: – I think – the, 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 yeah, I agree with you, but I think every time I'm always okay. like, oh. <laughs> yeah. All right. I think he says it, but it, the it's explosion just like a, is a, a there. Con- you right. Yeah. Smiley,
1: sort of a bit like. It led explosion. to that yeah, being right.
2: a staple in every trailer ever made. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> for the next 40 years.
1: It led to, you know, and classic Hooper,
2: lines in other movies like it, Species.
1: <laughs> what does he say? <laughs> I can't remember is what it, like it is. He die, motherfucker, or something.
2: <laughs> yeah, something so dumb. <laughs> like, as generic as it could be. <laughs> die, you motherfucker hooper is alive and it's like well thanks for nothing asshole right yeah what just shows i'm surprised hooper didn't just you know once he saw the shark was busy just start swimming to shore being like i'm gonna just cruise down here and hope he doesn't notice me (laughs) i do like uh one of
1: one of the things that quip brings up when they're like hunting it is you know and obviously saying it like kind of joking but the Wait till the taxidermy guy sees what I brought him. or whatever. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine <laughs> like bringing the fucking 25 foot shark?
2: <laughs> you know, we saw all the different shark's jaws that he had oh, yeah. back at his like house or whatever that place is. And then, like, even on his boat, there's the jaws on there. And I think this particular shark was going to be like his achievement in life.
1: Yeah. I mean, what do you think like kind of happens for like the world after Quint? I mean, just with the, it's like Quint's dead. His boat sunk. It th- they're basically going back to land as if Quint never
2: existed. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Chief Brody's like, I'm going to go home and have sex with my wife. And Hooper's like,
1: so am I. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so that's Jaws. I mean, it's it's an unbelievable movie. Obviously, it holds like, a treasured place in our lives. And oh, certainly, yeah. You all enjoy that film. Um, we managed to make it through
1: without really talking about the length of the podcast, so I feel like this was a good app.
2: <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening. Thanks for sticking with us. We yeah, seriously have done an insane amount of episodes.
1: Right? Should people be excited about things coming yes. down the line here? Still? I think we I mean, have some. Cool I've had so much focus on this episode 100 that uh, I can't even remember what's coming up but
2: something really fun and honestly kind of overdue oh yeah for definitely i I do know
1: what's up next but i mean of all of our conversations lately i do feel like there's been a lot of stuff thrown out there of like things that we're gonna do i can't you know who knows what the order is i'm sure you've got it written down in a notebook
2: somewhere i don't really have much of the order past the next one okay wow i mean i have some i have some ideas uh
1: give us a second's coming anytime soon or Um, I'm working on one
2: putting it together but yeah like I said I think there'll be like a music one maybe by the end of the month hopefully or you know early August or something but
1: all right well certainly thanks to all the ass clowns who have kind of dedicated their time to listening to this show I never yeah. thought we would have made it to 100 episodes. And I don't know if it's cool, but it feels like it could be.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, thanks for listening. Follow the show on Twitter, at Creatist and subscribe on iTunes, and we'll see you next time.
0: Got here, portable shower, a monkey cage, anti-shark cage. Anti-shark cage. You go inside the cage. Cage goes in the water. You go in the water. Sharks in the water. Our shark. Farewell and adieu to you, fair Spanish ladies. Farewell and adieu, you ladies of Spain. Received orders for to sail back to Boston, and so never more shall we see you again. <laughs>